Welcome to Eat, Sleep, Wine, Repeat, a podcast for all you wine lovers who, if you're like me, just cannot get enough of the good stuff. I'm Yanina Doyle, your host, brand ambassador, wine educator, and sommelier. So stick with me as we dive deeper into this ever-evolving, wonderful world of wine. And wherever you are listening to this, cheers to you. Hello, beautiful wine lovers, and welcome back to what is definitely one of my most favourite episodes. This one and part two, which will be out the following week. Now, I'm talking with Dr. Laura Catena. Laura Catena blows my mind and has always been one of my number one women in wine. She demonstrates ambition, intelligence, passion, pure intention to help people. She's a fourth generation Argentine vintner, now the managing director of Catena Zapata, which was founded in 1902 in Mendoza, which is Malbec's Argentinian home. Her father, who is equally as inspiring, Nicolas Catena Zapata, has been referred to as the Robert Mondavi of Argentina. It's fair to say he expedited Argentinian Malbec's fame to the world. Laura has graduated from Harvard and has a medical doctor degree from Stanford University. Whilst having three children, she's also used science to work with nature and promotes Malbec across the world. She has been an emergency physician for 30 plus years, volunteers to help the homeless. She's an author of three books. I need to take a deep breath. Hence, (laughs) why it is an honour that she has found some time to talk to me and to all of you guys today. So, the episode right now is talking about Malbec, its history, Catena's history, which really just intermingles with that of Malbec's. You're going to learn some more food pairings for Malbec other than steak and hear how Malbec differs across the regions of Argentina. Now, interesting wine fact before we begin, just in case it comes up in a wine quiz, <laughs> Malbec like most grapes, when we look at the DNA, is a crossing. So the crossing of Malbec would have been a natural one that happened way more than a thousand years ago. Now, the fun fact is it shares the same mother as Merlot, a grape called Magdalene Noir de Charente. Charente is a region about 80 miles north of Bordeaux. And the father of Malbec is a grape that comes from Gaillac, which is in the southwest of France, between Bordeaux and Cahors, called Pruneland. Now, as we all love Malbec, make sure you pour yourself a glass and settle in for this really enchanting and engaging conversation with Laura. Laura, thank you so much for joining me. This is genuinely an honour. As you know, I have been to the winery and I've been part of Catena Camp. So I'm an unofficial, unpaid Catena ambassador. <laughs> that's right. This For life. It, that, that's the rule, isn't it? I have a knife. Yes. I have a steak knife <laughs> from you still in a beautiful leather case. So they are the rules. They didn't say, they didn't force me with the knife to be an ambassador for life. But that I felt was, you know, it went with the territory, right? Absolutely. You, no, you are ambassador for, for life. And you're also an ambassador uh, for that knife uh, to, um, you know, cut your steak with it. Oh, honestly, the memories I have at Catena, for anybody who wants to go somewhere iconic, apart from the fact we're going to touch on the fact you make some pretty fabulous wines, just the winery itself is so iconic with the, what do we call it? Is it 
it's not a pyramid. It's a yes, fun- yes. It is a it's a pyramid. It's a, shaped after a Mayan pyramid. Ah, well, just a very square like funky pyramid, isn't it? But it, it's stunning. So everybody, get yourself down there because it is amazing. Now. Enough of me and my my story. I'm sure I'll find another excuse to bring that up again during this podcast. But how is it for you growing up in Mendoza where, well, was Malbec a big thing for you specifically growing up? Well, not really. No, no, absolutely not. Because, uh, you know, when I was growing up, we made blends just like people in Bordeaux and, you know, in Burgundy, uh, they don't talk about Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. They talk about, you know, red wine and white wine. Mm-hmm. And in, in Mendoza, we had this blend that was usually, you know, a little bit of Malbec with Petit Verdot with a little bit of Bonarda. And my grandfather actually was famous because he had these, you know, magic blends that he would do with, you know, vineyards in different regions. And he would only tell my father his magic blend. And <laughs> we weren't, no, we weren't varietal labeling. Like there wasn't really a lot of varietal labeling in Europe either. And it was kind of a California thing that they started, you know, in in maybe the 70s and 80s to do varietal labeling. And even then, Argentina was not exporting wine because we have a huge wine drinking population. You know, in Chile, they drink pisco. In Argentina, we drink wine because of all these Italian and Spanish traditions. So Argentina was drinking its own wines, not exporting much. And this was really what my father did was to say, hey, I am going to start to export these wines because they're so delicious and uh, because the rest of the world needs to know how great our wines can be. And he was really the first person to export high-quality Argentine wine from Argentina. And his first wines were actually Cabernet and Chardonnay because he didn't think people would buy Malbec because they'd never heard of it. Which probably at that time they wouldn't have. So he was probably no. right. It's it's incredible to think that in the last few decades, how much yeah. it has changed. Did you yeah. grow up drinking wine at the dinner table though? Yeah, no. And, and to answer your question, that's not because Malbec wasn't widely planted and extremely important as a red variety in Argentina. It was just that you drank it as red wine in Argentina. You didn't call it Malbec. Um, but yeah, well, you know, it's not like children drink wine in Argentina like they did in the Middle Ages because, you know, water was dangerous. So they actually did give kids uh, water mixed with wine. Mm-hmm. But uh, there was a tradition in my family, which was when you were invited as a child to the adult table, because the children usually ate in the kitchen and the adults in the dining room. And when you were allowed at about age five or whenever you were well behaved enough, they would give you a uh, glass of sparkling water with a little uh, splash of Malbec. Ah, okay. So you get the taste buds going, a little tingle here and there. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But I I wouldn't necessarily recommend that because, you know, (laughs) you shouldn't be giving alcohol to children. I I do believe in that. You know, I'm a medical doctor and it is true that, Mm. you know, it's better for young people not to drink wine because your brain is still developing and that's a good thing to not drink alcohol. Okay, everybody, you've heard it here, okay? <laughs> now, going back to you being a doctor, I mean, this is the thing. I have I have the utmost respect for you, genuinely. You are a doctor. You're a vintner. 
You write books. Uh, I know of, I've got three of them. I don't know if there's any more. You have a family. <laughs> you live in America, right? But then you work in Argentina. I mean, how? Do you want to give some advice? <laughs> well, any- I, I do live in both countries. I don't consider myself living in America. Okay. Actually, I do live in America because South America is part of America, yeah, okay. despite yeah, what go. the what the USA people think. Uh, but uh, so, so I live in the two Americas, you, you might say. There you go. And uh, actually, you know, I, I sometimes wonder how do I do all these things. And in uh, November of 2019, my father turned 80. Mm-hmm. And after 27 years of practicing as an accident emergency physician, you know, running the emergency department part-time, and running the winery and doing all these things, I decided, okay, my father's 80th birthday was that I was going to become a volunteer physician. And actually, when the quarantine came and COVID happened, I asked the boss at the hospital if he needed me to come back. But I was doing pediatrics the last 10 years, and there Mm -hmm. were no children in the emergency department because the children were not breaking bones because they weren't in the playground, and they weren't getting viruses and fevers at school. So actually, the emergency department for children was quite empty that first year and a half of the quarantine or even longer. Mm-hmm. And so I I actually did some vaccinating, but now I'm mostly doing wine. And it is a good question to ask me because I don't know how I ever had the time <laughs> to be a doctor because I'm so busy because, you know, we're planting in new regions. Just ah, making wine is, is, yeah, we're, we're planting in, in new provinces. We want to bring you know, the Grand Cru winemaking that now exists in Mendoza and, you know, just a few really special places. We want to discover those places outside of Mendoza, in Catamarca, in La Rioja, in San Juan, in Patagonia. And it's so exciting. Not not that there isn't still things to discover in Mendoza, you know, every year I discover something new about our vineyards that have been in the family for over 120 years. So it's not like you ever know a vineyard 100%. It's like a person, mm. you know, it's always changing. But discovering some, what I call Grand Cru level sites outside of Mendoza is a passion project of mine and of our team because what fine wine has meant to Mendoza, you know, not just selling cheap wine, selling fine wine. There's just more fun, more money, more of everything when you make fine wine, you know, because also your your land increases value, you can pay people better, people become specialized in fine wine, winemaking, which is everything from, you know, the work you do on the soil, you know, you have the, the time, energy and money to farm organically, which is more expensive, to take care of the ecosystem. You know, there's so many more things you can do when you're selling fine wine as opposed to, you know, the lowest price thing, which, you know, we don't do that. But my uh, great-grandfather did did his share amount of selling, you know, whatever he could sell, you know, when he got started. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, And uh, and I think that if we could, um, you know, create a, a reputation for some of these other regions, just like, you know, think about Italy, you know, Mount Etna. Who had ever mm-hmm. heard of Mount Etna? You know, like the great wines of Italy were, you know, in the north, in Tuscany and, uh, you know, in Barolo. And now you have all these other regions making amazing wines. I mean, the same thing for France. You know, it used to be the only great wines in France were, you know, Grand Cru Bordeaux, Grand Cru Burgundy, and, you know, Alsace people didn't even talk about. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's just an extraordinary thing to be in wine today. Uh, 
as a producer and as a wine drinker, which I am both. <laughs> well, and, and so I am I. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's interesting because ultimately when I speak to master of wines that took their examinations like 20 years ago, they didn't even need to study Argentina. So it's interesting. You're talking about Catamarca. Many people who yeah. are probably listening to this podcast right now are thinking, what the hell? Catamarca. Everyone, you, there's a transcript. Okay. <laughs> so the words that Laura mentions about regions, you can find in the transcript. But what I find interesting, I mean, maybe we'll touch on those other regions, but I really want to, you know, go deeper into Malbec. But you mentioned four regions, but you didn't mention Salta right up in the north. So oh, is that... Mm? I, that's just because I forgot it. We have been here oh. in Salta. I love Salta. Yeah. Okay. No, I love Salta. It's it's amazing. It's beautiful. It has some incredible terroir, very different flavors than Mendoza. All these regions have very different flavors and different varieties that do well in different places. Yeah. Now, then, because I want to kind of keep this to Malbec, because you are the queen of Malbec, you have to be with these incredible wines. Have you planted Malbec, presumably in Patagonia and Salta? Yes. So we plant Malbec in most of the new locations because Malbec has a different flavor in each place. And in Mm -hmm. this way, it's somewhat similar to, you might say, Pinot Noir, But it's even better because Pinot Noir, if you plant it somewhere a little bit warm, it doesn't do well. Malbec does really well in very cool climates and it can do well in somewhat warm climates. If it's too hot, you should plant Bonarda. Okay. You know, because Malbec, if it's too hot, it doesn't do well. But it has a bigger range than Pinot Noir or even Cabernet Sauvignon. Malbec Mm -hmm. has a bigger range. So... The thing is, you have a Malbec from cool climate, high altitude, limestone soils, and it's going to go in the what I call the Pinot Noir Cabernet Franc direction, because it's never as um, textured and bitter as Cabernet Sauvignon, because mm-hmm. it's got the smooth tannins, but it's going to be more floral, a little more fruit, you know, more in what I call the Pinot Noir direction. Sometimes, if it's from a very uh, gravelly soil, more in the Cabernet Franc direction. But then when you go to some of the warmer regions... Like Salta, even if they have very high altitude, it's a little bit warmer. But they have these clouds that live by the little hills that are next to all the vineyards. And so you get a Malbec that sometimes will even have some pyrazines, like a Cabernet, which is a little unusual. They're more herbal. Wow, so a little green. They're more herbal, yet the alcohols are higher. So it's it's kind of a, a contradiction, and that's because it's quite hot. Mm. But that's exciting in itself, that it's a different flavor. And, you know, a lot of these things also depend on how late you harvest, you know, what you're looking for, what your soil is, you know, altitude is not everything, you know, heat is not everything. But what's exciting about Malbec is that it really soaks up terroir. And so it will provide a very different flavor, but a great flavor in many different locations, different latitudes, different altitudes. And so I never get tired of tasting different kinds of Malbec because they're Mm. all different. And would I be right? I've always kind of heard that in Patagonia down in the south, you get kind of a, maybe a chewier style of Malbec, maybe a bit slightly drier tannins. Is that fair? Or is your experience shown different? I think a lot of the the palate depends on how early or late you harvest it. Mm. And so Patagonia, people think, oh, it must be so much colder there, right? Because it's further south. 
And, you know, for us, South is colder, which is, you know, it, it always upsets people in the Northern Hemisphere <laughs> because, you know, it just changes your worldview. But yeah, South is colder for us. But the altitude is almost at sea level, whereas, yeah. you know, in Mendoza, it's up to 5,000 feet. In Salta, which is almost near the tropics, we have vineyards up to 8,000, 10,000 feet elevation. So mm -hmm. in Patagonia, it's not really cooler than in high altitude Mendoza, but they have a lot of wind which uh, what wind does is it really dries out the vineyard. So it's it's really great for, you know, organic farming because it, there's just not a lot of uh, disease pressure. Uh, but there's a little more underground water in Patagonia. So the vines are a little less stressed. And, you know, in terms of your question about chewiness, I think that uh, the Patagonia wines tend to be sort of ripe, uh, you know, not uh, too tannic. They're, mm. they're kind of elegant with good acidity, but not as high acid as Mendoza. So yeah, so I would say Patagonia wines, a lot of the flavor will depend on when you harvest. So you can really play with the harvest time and get these riper wines, or you can get these more mineral wines that are a little more green. And a lot of that you can do because you don't have the altitude to deal with, and you don't have a lot of an issue with water. There's actually more water underground in Patagonia than in Mendoza, which okay. in some ways could be an advantage with climate change. Because in Mendoza, you know, the glacier water is really going down. And mm. so every year we have less water. Yeah, but, I, you know, I'm trying to think, how would I describe the Patagonia wines? I think they're a little less structured. Mm. Chewy, I don't know that I would use the word chewy, uh, but I, I really like them. I think they're different, uh, okay. and and they can go from ripe to more floral. Okay. And in Mendoza, a lot of that depends on where you are. So, are you in a lower altitude? Are you in a higher altitude? In Patagonia, I find that a lot of it has more to do with the the harvest time. Yeah. Okay, but I think this is super interesting because I, I think when people are listening, then they just realize Malbec is not just Malbec because certainly in the UK, Malbec is one of the most popular grape varieties, but it also becomes a bit of a brand and people yeah. don't realize how versatile it can be. So you are definitely Very hopefully opening, mm, opening some eyes and ears here. Now, I want to come back to the Catena story, which dates back to, am I right, 1898? So, yes, in 1898, uh, Nicola Catena, my great-grandfather, mm. lands in Buenos Aires and goes first to Rosario, which is a province near Buenos Aires, and then he comes to Mendoza and doesn't plant his own vineyard until 1902. First, he has to make the money to buy his first vineyard. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so it was, it was still expensive back then, then. <laughs> well, it, everything was expensive when you were an 18-year-old who... Whose parents 18. had given him, yeah, he came when he was 18. Yeah, wow. so he was an 18 year old with his parents' savings in a suitcase. That's incredible. Yeah. And I remember I was reading the story and he would eat steak for breakfast as a reminder of his success. Yes. That, that, was, that was not at the beginning. <laughs> of course <laughs> not. Not when he was 18, I don't think. <laughs> but so my father tells me, at this point, he'd already had some children. He, he ended up having, he and Anna had six children. And then he already had a grandchild, my father, who he was the, the second grandchild. But he used to eat a piece of steak for breakfast. And so my father 
remembers once asking him, you know, nonno, because that's what you call your grandfather in yes. Italian, and that's, you know, he was Italian, so they spoke Italian at home. So my father asked him, nonno, you know, why are you having a piece of steak for breakfast? And <laughs> Nicola answered, you know, because I want to thank God for bringing me to this land where you can have you know, a piece of steak for breakfast, because there is no way what, where he was living in Marque, where he, you know, his family was not poor, but, mm. you know, nobody, even the, the wealthiest people in Italy was eating steak every day. And when I was a child in Argentina, and that was not that long ago, I used to have steak every day. It was did, normal to have, you? yeah, in fact, you know, the common lunch at school. So I went to the school that was in the middle of downtown in this mm -hmm. beautiful old French-style building, and there were two cafes where you could have lunch, and you would go to one or the other, and it was very cheap. So one was un sandwich de bife. Sandwich de bife is basically a steak sandwich. Imagine that. That was mm -hmm. the, the, the poor person's lunch. That is so and delicious. Then, and then in the other place, it was the sandwich de milanesa de bife. Oh, and so polish. milanesa, you know, it comes from <laughs> Milan, from Italy, but uh -huh. it's basically breaded steak. So you could either have plain steak or breaded steaks. That was basically the two options. Everybody had the same thing for lunch. And wow. then for dinner, you might have steak again. Now, I'm just upset that children aren't really allowed to drink wine because, of course, that Malbec would have been perfect, <laughs> wouldn't it? Just a Malbec in a yes. little juice box no. with your steak no, sandwich. And, and, and the reality is that all this meat is not good for you. So, yeah. you know, you, nobody should be eating that much meat. It's not good for the environment. It's not good for you to eat that much meat. So, but, but, but you know, it's a real immigrant story because... You know, he, he went from a place where, the, you know, meat was so expensive to Argentina, where at that time, you know, there were actually government subsidies also. And so that's partly why meat was so cheap, because that was the government's way of making sure they fed everybody. Mm. And today, actually, meat is more expensive than pasta. And so uh, people it, it are... It's swapped around. <laughs> yes, it's, it, but, but, it not, but the difference is not as large as in other countries. Yeah. So, you know, if you go to Europe or North America, you know, steak is a lot more expensive than pasta. In Argentina, it's only a little bit more expensive. Okay. Well, I want to take us to then the history, before carrying on with your beautiful wines, of Malbec. Because many people, obviously, who know about Malbec will know it started in Bordeaux. But now, you know, Mendoza has really claimed it as its own. So could you touch a little bit on the story of Malbec? Yes. So I have spent the last 20 years of my life studying Malbec, and we have a label called Malbec Argentino by Catena Zapata that tells the story of Malbec through four women. So actually, if you want to uh, Google uh, MalbecArgentino.com, you will see a picture of this label, and it actually points to what each woman represents, and there's all these little small drawings inside the label that mean something about the era of Malbec. So... Basically, I love history and I'm always reading history books, but I know nothing compared to my younger sister, Adriana Catena. There's, we have a very famous vineyard named after her, but she mm -hmm. is a true historian, a graduate from Oxford with a PhD, so she knows a lot. But her uh, history specialty is early modern history. So actually, while she was doing all her PhD studies and teaching, I was meanwhile studying the history of Malbec. And one time I went to her and I said, Adriana, 
I want you to help me tell the story of Malbec. You are a historian. How do I tell this story? And I was thinking she was going to help me make a presentation like a PowerPoint. And instead she said, why don't we put the story on the label? And this is, this was such a great idea from somebody who had never sold wine in her life. So that's why, <laughs> you know, when people ask me, you know, oh God, I'd really love to get into wine, but you know, I studied accounting or I've been selling pharmaceuticals. And I always say to them, you know, if you know how to learn and study, you know, you can study wine and you can mm. move into wine. And my sister is a great example because she really helped us retell the story of Malbec because most people thought of Malbec as this Argentinian grape, which there's nothing wrong with that because today it is better known from Argentina. In fact, it is the only fine wine variety that is better known from Argentina from the new world than from the old world. So if you think mm -hmm. of Cabernet Sauvignon, it's still better known from Bordeaux than from yeah. Napa or Australia. You know, even Syrah, Shiraz. I mean, well, we could ask an Australian. Maybe they'd have a different opinion. But I think my <laughs> back is, is the... They're not here, exactly. And, but my back is, is a variety that is, is so much better known it's, from Argentina mm, than yes. from France. And the history goes that, you know, when the, when the Roman legionaries went through Gaul, through France, they identified two regions. They identified Cahors, uh, because Bordeaux was not developed at that time. You know, Medoc really becomes important in the 17th century, and it's thanks to the Dutch who drained the swamp in Medoc. Mm -hmm. But before that, the, the main regions were Burgundy and Cahors, which was in the south, uh, you know, southwest of France. And in Cahors, they made Malbec. So, Malbec and Pinot Noir are two very ancient varieties. So that's where the history sort of starts. Then you have all these stories about Eleanor of Aquitaine, who, you know, we're here with the probably British public, but maybe people from all over the world. But, you know, everybody in, in UK would know the story of Eleanor of Aquitaine, first mm -hmm. Queen of France and Queen of England. And, you know, I love, 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 love the fact that she married a man 10 years younger. Oh, and, I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, Henry II was 10 years younger. So she was the original, you know, woman defying, you know, the, the <laughs> you know, always the guys older, the woman's younger. You know, today it's very normal. Mm. And also she lived to the age of 83, which in the 12th century yeah. was unheard mm. of. You know, nobody lived till, till the age of 83. You know, that was really old. And she outlived her, her two husbands. And, well, sadly, I mean, many of her children, I, I don't want to, I, I definitely don't want to live my children, but, but she, I mean, nobody lived that, that old, you know, mm -hmm. till 83. And, and my theory is because she drank Malbec, of course. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good theory. Let's stick with yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. We'll stick with that. But so, so she brings Malbec to England and then, you know, it, it starts getting exported all over Europe. And, you know, for her, it was really important to keep the, the, the lords in Aquitaine happy. And the way to keep them happy was to buy their wine. And so that's how Malbec becomes really important in Europe. But then the Bordelais are trying to wage, um, you know, commercial war against Cahors and they try to block the exports. And actually some, uh, you know, there was a French king who actually had to help the, the, the Malbec survive because otherwise it would have been eliminated. And, and this, ah. that's one of the things I like about Malbec is that it almost becomes lost to the world multiple times and mm. then it always survives. And then during Phylloxera, Malbec was actually just as important as Cabernet Sauvignon in Bordeaux when the 1855 classification happened. There was actually more Malbec planted than Cabernet Sauvignon. And this is actually a reference from the Encyclopedia Britannica and the, also the same reference in the Encyclopedie Francaise. So there's real data showing that Malbec 
was not a minor grape in Bordeaux. It was very important, just as important as Cabernet, because it played the role of uh, bringing some fruit and softening the tannins of, of the Cabernet. But then what happens is that Malbec ripened at the same time as Cabernet, and mm. they were looking for a grape that maybe ripened earlier and also had these soft tannins, and that was Merlot. And that's why today, most of the blends of uh, Bordeaux have a majority of Cabernet and then a lot of Merlot. And then, you know, now Cabernet Franc has become newly important, but really the main blend was Cabernet Sauvignon and Merlot. But before that, it was Malbec. But fortunately for Malbec, before Phylloxera, this plague that decimates the vineyards of Europe in, in the late 1800s, and, uh, you know, that causes uh, Malbec to disappear when they replant, and they replant with Merlot, before that, Malbec comes to Argentina, where it becomes widely planted. And there is no writing on why. There's nothing really... written in the history books of Argentina for why was it Malbec and not Cabernet Sauvignon and not Sangiovese and not, you know, because all mm. these European varieties were brought to Argentina. Even all these Italian immigrants brought their varieties from Italy. And this Italian man uh, once answered the question for me. So... I was visiting him, Don Angel Paolucci. He came to Argentina when he was, uh, I don't know, 10 years old or something. He still speaks Spanish with an Italian accent, which I think is so beautiful. <laughs> it's cute. And yeah. so it's so cute. So I'm like, Don Angel, you know, why didn't you plant Italian varieties in your vineyard? And he says, you know, Lucia, you know, that's his, his daughter who now runs the video. Lucia, where is my Montepulciano d'Abruzzo? And, you know, and he's like, Lucia. And, you know, he's, he's shouting his daughter's name. And, you know, Lucia comes, you know, by the way, Lucia is like 45 years old. You know, she's not a 10 year old, but, you know, he still calls her like she's a child. Lucia, what happened to my Montepulciano? And she's like, well, you know, Papa, you know, don't you remember we pulled it out because, you know, it, it, the grapes were terrible. And so he's like, there's your answer, uh, Dr. Laura. That's what he calls me. He's like, you know why? Because the only thing that grows well in this place is Malbec. There and I think what happened is that they did trial and error. And they planted Malbec and they planted other things, but Malbec was always good. Yeah. And I think that it really is kind of a marriage made in heaven. And, you know, and it goes beyond that. Remember what I was telling you at the beginning, how... You know, you go to a cool climate and it does well. You go to a warmer climate, it does well. You go to the clay soils and it does well. And it gives a different flavor in the different places, but it always makes a beautiful wine. And I think there's something about this combination of sunlight and climate. And it's also the plant selections that today no longer exist in Europe and are only in Argentina. So that could also be part of the secret. Okay. And just going back to the Argentino wine, for everyone, you'll notice there's the four women and the last woman is your sister, isn't it? Yes. On the label. Yes. Yeah, so the third good. woman is Phylloxera. So she's ah, actually yeah, which, an mm, insect. Mm. The second woman represents the immigrants. And, you know, she's sort of portraying my great grandmother who actually used to plant all the vineyards alongside my, my great grandfather would make the wine and she would plant the vineyards. And then the last one is my sister, and, and we had a mini fight over it because she thought it should be me because she said, well, you're the one who, who's been doing all this for 20 years. And uh, I said, well, but you came up with the label. And Aww. then I basically won because I said, I'm the oldest, I get to decide. And she said, okay, fine. <laughs> I'm tired of fighting with you. And it's very sweet <laughs> no, of but, you. How very humble. But no, but you know, I, no, no, but I, I love that it's her because it, it, she was the, the originator of the story. But you know, yeah. I, I love that in the end, we are, we are really such a, a family 
enterprise, you know, and we work like a family. You know, the people who work at Cateda are like family. You know, yesterday somebody was working here in California and she stayed at my house and, and we talk to each other like family. You know, people can talk back to me. I like that. I always tell them, I don't like the people who just do what I say. Please talk back to me. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, in families, often the person who, who insists the most wins. And that's how this happened. I just, I felt more passionate about it. And that's why I won. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, you're very passionate about the women in your family and the women in your life, isn't it? So I'm going to use that as a segue because I have a bottle in front of me of the Angelica Zapata of 2018. Oh, yeah. yes. And it's been looking at me and I've poured it just before we started. So can, I'm going to have a little taste and a sip now because I deserve it because this has been, so, you know, such, oh, such hard work. Oh, this one is work. so delicious. So can you, tell <laughs> me just, <laughs> can you tell me just a little bit about who is Angelica? So Angelica Zapata is a wine that we sell in Argentina and we release it and it sells out. We don't completely know the magic of this wine. I mean, it is very <laughs> delicious, but we've never had enough to export it because... We make it and we sell it out and it comes from the Angelica Vineyard and we have two Angelica Vineyards. We have one in the in the slightly uh, older vines, warmer regions, and then we have one Angelica Vineyard, which is the same cuttings planted in this cooler climate, which is, uh, you know, 20-year-old vineyard. The other one is a 100-year-old vineyard, the, mm. the original Angelica Vineyard. And then we have a little splash of some other vineyards, you know, we have some from Altamira and some from Agrelo. But... The blend is primarily from this, these two Angelica vineyards. And Angelica is the name of my grandmother. But anyhow, this, this wine, you know, we make it every year in the similar style. I call it, you know, our Chanel number no. five approach because it's a blend, but we're always looking for the, the wine to have, you know, florals, beautiful fruit to be really textured on the palate and to have a lot of uh, power. But to still have, you know, these, these incredible smooth tannins that good Malbec is known for. Yeah, and lovely, it does have a little bit tannins. of oak. Mm. It has oak, but you don't really sense it because it's very well integrated. But you know, this, this wine is all about the selection in the vineyard. This wine is the wine that you would give, you know, your mother for her birthday, your father for his birthday, your grandfather for his birthday. You know, it's, it's the gifting wine in Argentina. You know, I don't, I don't know how that happened. You know, it just happened. <laughs> and it's named after my grandmother. And we have rarely exported it, but we actually are now selling it in UK. And it's really exciting because this is the first time. And we sell a little bit in South America, but really we are not exporting this wine a lot because we don't have enough. So it, it's, it's really fun for all my friends in UK are so excited that they can now buy it there. And it's named after my grandmother who was the headmistress of the local school where my father went, where, you know, it was a less than a hundred children's school, you know, all the grades together. And my father went to school on his horse and would leave the horse outside. I mean, this is how small this little village was. And it's still a small village, actually. And she was a fierce educator. And she really believed in, you know, Americans call it the American dream. We call it the Argentinian dream. Mm -hmm. And that was the, the, the thought that if you worked hard and got a good education, you could attain anything in life. And, you know, I think it, perhaps it's a bit of a simplistic view because I think a lot of people get a great education and still can have really hard lives, you know, depending on where you grew up or what country you grew up. I mean, Argentina is now in, 
kind of complete economic and political chaos. But I, but we still believe that this view that education is so important uh, is something that you can give people. And so at Catena, we have a program for advanced education for all our employees. If they want to do a further degree, we support it. And we have most people at our winery have gotten some extra degree or you know, really serious uh, course level specialization work with us. We have a lot of people who do their whole university while working at the winery so that they can pay for it. And we really believe that with education, you can achieve things that would have seemed impossible. You know what? I think that is beautiful. And I am going to quit my job and um, start working (laughs) in the winery with you. (laughs) You should, you should think of it. But the only thing is the salaries are quite a bit lower than in UK. You might be mm. in for a little bit of a shock, but the, but life is a bit cheaper. It's not okay. as expensive as, as living in, in UK for sure. I can practice my Spanish. And in fact, yes. my, my partner's <laughs> Colombian and he says that you oh. must, and I can tell you this, he said this half an hour ago. He said, oh, this Laura, she must be a very nice lady because she's part of the Zapata family because he's Zapata. Oh. So you're a very Wait, lovely lady. His you're a, last name is, is Zapata. Zapata? Mm, so you're related somehow. Oh my somehow. God. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. is so cool. Wow. <laughs> oh my God. That's amazing. You and I are related. Well, not yet. He hasn't married me. So, I, you know. <laughs> oh, that doesn't matter. You don't have to marry anymore. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. That's true. We're very modern these days. Now back to the wine before, because everyone's like, we're not listening to this podcast to hear okay, about your okay. boyfriend. Um, okay. But- <laughs> This wine, everybody, apart from the fact it's delicious, is not only available in the UK, it's available in one of the big supermarkets, everybody. This is Tesco's, which means everyone can get this. This is £28 a bottle, which is actually incredibly cheap for what you are getting. This is so juicy it's plush beautifully plush intense black currant fruits for me and then there's this lovely lick of almost like white chocolate because everything just seems sweeter this is a this is a dry wine but it's sweet tannins sweet oak and it's just beautifully full and rounded without it being a a fruit bomb but it's just an explosion of fruits with freshness it's it's just yummy it's a really yes and you know it's interesting you know about tesco that they have this very serious wine department and they've been a real advocate for argentina so when they came to us saying you know do you have anything special for us and it can be you know more expensive you know we were kind of surprised like really you're going to sell a wine that expensive and uh, you know i think there's a real trend today that People want to be able to buy really fine things in a supermarket because, you know, Mm -hmm. you don't want to make five trips shopping every week. I think we've kind of become a little bit spoiled with the quarantine that, you know, we like, you know, spending our time off going to the park or, you know, doing an outing and not going shopping. And I think that it's really exciting that Tesco is doing this program for some really fine wine. And uh, so we wanted to give them something really special because they've been such a supporter of us and of Argentine wine. Oh. So I'm excited. I hope I hope people do uh, buy this wine because it really is special. And the price is, like you said, very, very good. 
Well, yeah, this is the thing. When you find a good wine in the supermarket, you always know as well that the pricing is really... They're, they're, they're quite tough, aren't they? They do squeeze on price, but it does mean that we guys get to taste it. And everyone, the length on this wine is beautiful. The the oak, I think, you know, you said there's not too much oak on it, but it's very judicious. It's there giving you this extra kind of layer, but it really is the fruit that is at the forefront and the intensity of it is beautiful. There's yeah. that fresh but it's smooth it's powerful without being overly explosive it's yummy so I will Thank happily you. be enjoying this later on everyone Tesco is 28 pounds and um, now I, I want to ask you just a few questions about Malbec because what everybody knows that the perfect pairing is steak but there's loads of other pairings what would you pair it with yeah. other than steak well you know I have to say that I love Malbec with steak, but I also like Cabernet Sauvignon with steak. Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. there's something that Malbec does that I think there's not many other red varieties that can pair with really gamey food. So, for example, something like a quail or a chicken curry. You're mm. not going to, you know, pair Cabernet Sauvignon with a more white meat. Uh, also, something gamey like lamb with a chutney or something like that, or pork. I actually think that because Malbec has those sweet tannins that are not from sugar, yes. they just have, the Malbec has a lot of polysaccharides, so you get the sweet sensation, but it's not sweet. Mm. It can go really well with some of these more gamey meats and meats that you do with a sauce that maybe does have a little sweetness. And those kind of dishes go much better with Malbec than, let's say, with Cabernet Sauvignon. I think also like a Shiraz could go really well with some of those dishes or a Pinot Noir. And, uh, you know, you can even have a Malbec with salmon. It goes really well, especially if you do a cool climate Malbec. But another favorite of mine for Malbec is foods with umami. And, you know, of course, mm. steak and meat has umami, but mushrooms have umami. So one of my favorite pairings is mushroom risotto. Okay. With yeah, Malbec. Yeah, yeah. There is nothing better. Or grilled vegetables where you get a little bit of that umami from the grilling. It's incredible. And I don't know if you've had paneer. You know, it's that cheese, that Indian cheese that you can grill. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So I think Malbec goes really well with paneer with some spice. And that comes from those sweet tannins. So Malbec is a red wine that can take some spice. Usually people think, okay, with spicy... Asian food, you know, let's have a Riesling or let's have a beer. But actually, because of those high acid but sweet tannins of Malbec, it can pair with some of these more exotic foods. And that's something that I feel like I'm the only person talking about this because, as you said, most <laughs> I think you people are. talk about steak and Malbec. Yes. <laughs> the only other thing, the only other combination that anyone ever talks about is chocolate. So thank you oh, yes. for bringing yes. this to our audience. Okay, so everybody, can we be a little bit more creative? This month, yes. get yourself a bottle of the Angelica Zapata. Treat yourself. You deserve it. And then, okay, try a bit of Asian. Try some mushroom risotto. I like it. I will also do the same. I will be part of this brand new movie. Very good. Okay. Okay. Now, I just, I have to ask you, can you, if somebody said to you, we've already touched on sweet tannins, and I really, that is why I think the UK loves the Malbec. Um, could you just describe in just a few words, sum up what, if somebody had no idea what Malbec is, like, how would yeah. you say to them it tastes? Yes. So I would say aromatically, it's going to have 
a mix of fruits. And if it's from a cooler climate, it will get more of what, what we call the blue fruits. And if it's a warmer climate, it will be more of the black fruits. They're all delicious. And it will have a little bit of florals. And that's very particular of Malbec from the Uco Valley, a little bit of floral. Mm. And then it will have quite a bit of texture on the palate. And it's very dark in color. So if you, if you want to win a blind tasting competition and a wine is kind of light, it's not Malbec. It used to be called the black <laughs> wine. Yes. So look at the color. That's one way to differentiate that a wine like Pinot Noir, which is a lot lighter in color. So, you know, you've got this fruits, a mix of black and red, sometimes a little bit of spice, depending on the region. And then the palate will be very rich and long, but always smooth tannins. And the acidity will depend on the cool climate, it, how much cool climate fruit there is, but it doesn't taste super high acid, like Pinot Noir tastes more high acid. Even if they have the same acidity, Pinot Noir will taste more high acid than Malbec. And mm -hmm. that's because of these smooth tannins. Some people call it the velvet glove. Oh, I love and that. This, yeah, the velvet glove. I think that's, that's a good uh, analogy. And the sweetness, again, is not from sugar. So this is, you know, if you're on a low-carb diet, this is a way to cheat <laughs> because <laughs> my back is like dry, mm -hmm. but you get a sweet sensation because it really doesn't have carbs. Uh, but so that's a very particular thing about Malbec that the, that you feel big tannins, but very, uh, smooth, velvety with a touch of sweet flavor. There we go. That's the summary, everybody. And you made it sound beautiful as it is. <laughs> so part two, next week, we will go into more detail about Laura's dad and high altitude Malbec changing the course of history. You'll learn about the Catena Institute of Wine and the Grand Cru site of Argentina, Adriana Vineyard. And of course, there will be more talk on Malbec, but also microbes. Yes, microbes. And we will discuss Cabernet Franc alongside other delightful stories of Laura's. Now to finish off, I have a quote of Laura's taken from her latest book, Malbec Mon Amour, which we will talk about more next week. She talks about the subregion Agrelo, which is about 20 miles south of the city of Mendoza, and is part of the larger subregion Luján de Cujo. Now, this is where you are going to find their winery. So if you want to research an iconic part of Mendoza, this is one of them. Laura explains. It's the first zone, but it also represents the rebirth of great Argentine wine for export. Wineries settled in Agrelo because they saw it as the corridor into the Uco Valley. At that time, nobody was sure yet that the Uco Valley would become the golden goose. Right, I hope you are more enamoured by Malbec after part one. Make sure that you have subscribed to this podcast so that you don't miss next week's episode. And don't forget, leaving a comment on your podcast app and some stars does make this podcast more discoverable. So if you're finding value in the podcast, please do find a second to do that. Like the podcast, share with your wine-loving friends. I can't wait to share next week's episode. So drink well, drink Malbec, and until then... Cheers to you. <laughs>